Fourthly, give people appropriate ministry assignments. What we have to first ask the question is, what can a person do? What are their strengths? See, so often we we try and pick people on the basis of lack of weakness. The starting point is to see their strengths and what they can do. Character issues can limit a person's involvement, but that's not the starting point. Start with what they can do. What are they gifted to do? What are they able to do? But the second question is very important also. What do they want to do? I can do a lot of things, but I don't necessarily want to do everything. You know, people often ask me, Bob, how do you motivate people? My answer might surprise you. You can't. You can't motivate people. They're already motivated by God. God has already placed certain things within them. My job as a leader is to figure out what God's already put in there. So what can they do? What do they want to do? And thirdly, what are they called to do? Because the issue is to help people to find out what it is God wants them to do so that they can do it. Every person that I interact with, I consider them to be a gift from God. And I look at all of you and I realize that you have gifts that God has given you. You have motivations. You have desires. And one of my goals and my interactions with you is to help you to discover what it is God wants you to do so that you can be more released to go do it. And so therefore, we're not in the business of trying to take uh, square pegs, as we say, and try and put them into round holes. But if I find a square peg, guess what kind of a hole I try to find? A place where they fit. They make a significant contribution to the advance of the kingdom of God. And I happen to believe that God gives enough spiritual gifts to the body that God has given enough gifts so that everything that God wants to have happen in your church. Now, there isn't enough gifts to do all the other stuff we're doing that God doesn't want us to do and to do what God has called us to do. But there's two key principles for giving people appropriate ministry assignments. One pastor summarized it this way. If you want to be effective in raising up leaders and working with people, just remember two things. Rubber bands and shoelaces. Oh, you want me to explain that? Rubber bands means that if you want somebody to to grow and develop as a leader, you need to give them an appropriate amount of stretch. If there's no stretching, there's no growth. But if you stretch a person too much, you'll snap them. Some people that you work with, you can give them quite a bit of stretch. Other people only need a little bit of a stretch. Wise leadership knows how much stretch to give them. Because a person that needs a big amount of stretch, if you only give them a little assignment, will not challenge them and they will not grow. Some of you have leaders in your, potential leaders in your church that could do phenomenal things, but you're not challenging them sufficiently, so therefore they're not involved. I would not be surprised if there's a, there's a dozen or two dozen lay leaders in this room that are not being sufficiently challenged in ministry. I know that because I talk to them all the time. We need to give people appropriate amounts of stretch. The other mm-hmm. principle is shoelaces. Tie people together. Don't send people out there all by themselves, but link them with other people and other resources. And so effective leadership assignments or, or ministry assignments are rubber bands and shoelaces. Okay, number five, provide on-the-job training. Now, in the model of training that we think of often in the Western world involves three components. The Western concept in the traditional academic educational sense is threefold. Orient, equip, and involve. There are two significant problems with that model. Number one, it's unbiblical. That's problem enough. The second problem is it does not work. 
So whether you want to reject it on theological grounds or on pragmatic grounds, it is wrong. Now, those three elements are, in fact, the right components, but the order is wrong. What is a more biblical model of training? Number one would be orient. Number two is, come on, there's only one option, involve and then equip. The reason I know that's biblical is that's Jesus' model. He had a five-step process. Number one, I do, you watch. Isn't that what Jesus did? He, He called the disciples to be with him, and they watched him do ministry. Step two, I do, you help. He was still doing it, carrying the primary load, but the disciples were coming alongside and taking a limited involvement as he gave them specific assignments. Here, you pass around these baskets and collect all the extra pieces. What do you suppose step three is? You do, I help. Jesus is there supporting, he's there to help, they're doing it. Step four is what? You do, I watch. And what do you suppose step five would be? You do... That is the essence of discipleship. That is the essence of Jesus' training style. See, people learn best when they see an effective model. They learn best in the context of doing. And they learn best when they sense a need. And they sense a need as they're going out to do it. They realize what they don't know. And now all of a sudden they're more teachable. Remember when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration in, uh, you know, in, I guess the, uh, latter part of Mark 8, first part of Mark chapter 9. Jesus, Jesus is up there with Peter, James, and John, and that remarkable experience of the transfiguration happened. And remember, the other nine disciples were down the hill, and a father brought a demonized son to them to cast out the demon. And the disciples said, no problem. We know how to cast out demons. In fact, we have a winning streak against demons, 33 to nothing. 33 in a row have come out. So they pray in the name of Jesus, ask the demon to leave, and the kid goes into a convulsion right in front of them. They did everything that they'd always done in all the previous cases, and this one it didn't work. Now you can visualize what happens. They go up and have a little huddle. They have a little meeting. And they go back and they try to fix it. And it gets worse. And a crowd starts gathering. People from the crowd start suggesting things. It becomes a real mess. And this heat is pouring down on them. They're being embarrassed publicly and they're starting to sweat. And in the midst of that chaos, Jesus comes down from having experienced one of the most miraculous things on the history of, of his life on earth. And he says, what's going on here? And the father comes up very embarrassed and says, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I asked your disciples to cast out this demon. I thought they could handle it, but obviously they couldn't. It's caused quite a mess. I'm sorry for all the commotion. I'm sorry to even bothered you. You understand that it doesn't quite say all that in the Bible. (laughs) Jesus asks a few questions of clarification, casts the demon out, the crowd disperses, The disciples that were down there were totally humiliated. Afterwards, they went into a house somewhere, and when they were all alone, they said, Jesus, we got a question for you. How come it came out for you, but didn't come out for us? And Jesus said, oh, that kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. I I wonder why Jesus didn't cover that in his class on Demonology 101. (laughs) Maybe he did, but they never remembered because they didn't have a need. But guess what they never forgot for the rest of their life? When you come across a difficult case, you need to pray and fast. See, they learn effectively in the context of doing. Give people just enough orientation so they can go out and start doing it. Then they will know what they don't know, and then they'll be more teachable to listen to your counsel. I realize that this suggestion actually goes contrary to the way we think in the Western world. 
And certainly goes contrary to the thinking that, that, that I find in the German world. Our tendency is to want to train people for three years before we let them even pass out an offering basket. Eh, maybe I'm being a little hard. But, but you understand what I'm talking about. It's better to involve people and then train them on the job. My wife starts support and recovery groups. And these groups are, are lay-led. She can start a group without knowing who the leader is going to be. She can start the group, find the leader and have it turned over to the leader in three to four weeks. And 95% of the groups go just fine. And the other 5% uh, just don't get off the ground. Now, I know that sounds astonishing to some of you, but the fact of the matter is you can train people on the job. Talk about this when we talk about cell group leaders. You do not need to give cell group leaders a year or two of training before they can go lead a cell group. Most of what they need to know they can learn on the job, and we'll talk about that later on. Okay, on-the-job training. 